the uh, song that the team just sang is from the text that we are about to open up. It should be a great encouragement, I trust, to your heart. It is the uh, introduction. It's the place starting point. The God of David is the God that is still faithful to this day to you and to me. He's still at work, and he is still loving us. And so if you have your scriptures, I invite you to turn over to Psalm 89 with, uh, with me, with us, all of us together. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then jump down and read verses 19 through 37. If you're just joining us today, we're in the midst of a, uh, a study in the book of Psalms, and today we're on the last psalm in book 3. And uh, you know how it is when you get to, like, the climax of, of a book? Um, and the last psalm, book three, the middle book, is a downer. It is, like, really discouraging news, but we have to go through discouraging news to hear the good news. And so if there's a theme in book three, it's been, listen, God is faithful to us. He puts his Messiah on the throne, all of the nations around it, that's book one, all of the nations around us struggle for mastery and to, they struggle against his rule and his reign, that's book two, and in book three, devastation. God's people are not faithful. God steps in and, and in one respect begins anew. There's big, big trouble, hardship even in the people of the Lord. Now next week, come back, Psalm 90 begins book four, where the word that we would emphasize for that chapter would be maturation. The people of God begin to mature and understand who he is. And then book five, we'll look at in the coming months, God's kingdom is here in power. But here today, we're on the last chapter of the saddest book. Sometimes it's really good to pause for a minute on the last chapter of the saddest book. We learn a lot when we're brokenhearted. Our ears are really trying to understand things when life is really tough. And that's where we are in this psalm. So uh, allow me, if you would, to read Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4, and then I'll just point out when we're going to jump down uh, in the text. Psalm 89, a masquil of Ethan the Ezrahite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and, and build your throne for all generations. Selah. And then we're going to pop down to verse 19 and continue. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also will strengthen him. 
The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Selah. And Father, as we come to you this morning in prayer, we are so thankful for your eternal promise that you made that there would be an offspring of David on the throne forever. As long as the sun shines and when we go out and see the sun, we are reminded of your faithfulness. And as long as the moon glows in the evening, this covenant your promise is established forever. Your faithfulness is higher than the clouds. And we praise you. So help us as we study, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We say, well, John, I was, I was expecting some bad news because, uh, man, you really set that up like last book of the hardest chapter. I mean, what's going on with that? And we're going to get to the hardest part of it. If you would uh, just put your finger right on verse 37 where we stopped reading and see the next verse. The next verse, verse 38 says, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. And so the, the picture is of this. We have We have received this eternal promise from God, and it's real, and we trust it. But the reality is that because of our own unfaithfulness, you, God, have removed all the kings from the throne. In fact, that's the the condition that we find ourselves in. Ezra, who wrote this, is probably writing long after David, long after Solomon. And he's writing about the fact that we have these promises, but we have no king on the throne. We have the the kingdom is split in two. We are fighting against one another, brother against brother, civil war, broken relationships. All we have this promise that's obviously eternal, and yet we are holding none of it in our hands in the moment. So when your faith, when when my faith 
comes and grows, it's going to be tested. God's going to test your faith. And that's what Psalm 89 is all about. Got a promise? I had it in my hands. It's gone. Now, what do I do when what my eyes see and what my mind has expected God to do in keeping his promise is completely different than my reality and what my eyes see? And just so you see that this is not uh, uh, the, the exception, this is the rule. Hey, Noah, build a boat in the desert. Build a boat in a plane and just wait. For years and years, do what I ask you to do. His reality and what he expected God to do was different as he endured complete uh, mockery from his neighbors and for a long time, I'm sure, had to wrestle with what is God doing here. Hey, Abraham. I know your wife is 90 years old, but here's my promise to you, Genesis 12. Yeah, Genesis 12. I will make of you a great nation. Well, God, what, what my eyes see here and what you promised are not lining up. Or Moses. Moses, I know you're in captivity in Egypt and you have no army and no means of getting anybody out, but I'm going to send you to my people and you are going to lead them out from captivity with no weapons of warfare. Uh, God, how are you going to do that? David, the king of the land has all the power and legal authority to chase you down and kill you. Trust my promise that one day you will be king in Israel. Or Mary, I know that you have never known a man and are not married, but you will bear the Son of God. And you, you thought the promise was going to look a certain way in your life. You thought you were going to receive it. You thought you understood the timing. You thought you had a pretty clear grasp of what God was going to do. And you find yourself with a broken relationship. You find yourself with a bumpy situation. You find yourself with a doctor's report. You find yourself alone doing the work of seven people. At least two people. You find yourself brokenhearted. You find yourself sad to, to the nth degree. And the bottom line is that God makes promises and then our experiences don't match up with those promises. And James would say, don't be surprised when that happens to you. James would say in James chapter 1 and verse 2, put that in the joy category. When God tests you, see, because here's what's going to happen is your faith is going to get tested. God doesn't need your tested so that God doesn't need your faith tested so that He can see if you have faith or what degree your faith is all about. God puts your faith to the test to prove Himself to you and to me in the hardest situations of our life. And so, the reality is that our faith is going to get to a breaking point. And when we, we talk about this as the kind of the theme of Psalm 89, when our faith in God is at a breaking point, we see that Ethan's faith in God was at a breaking point because he had all the promises and he had none of the reality. And he's weeping and he's weeping and he's weeping. 
So before we go on, I'm going to ask you to get in mind, what is the thing that challenges you? What is the thing that really puts your trust in God in harm's way? It comes alongside, so I, I know what God has said, but here's the thing that challenges me, the authenticity of God's word. It might be that for you. It really challenges me. Is this God's word? The hardness of your life. Look, I got a promise from God, but my life stinks. It's really hard day by day. And I come in and we sing songs. I hear the word. And then I go back to my same hardness. What am I going to do with that? Maybe the challenge for you is your expectation of others. You keep thinking they should do more. And they keep not performing. Maybe it's unanswered prayers. You bring it back to the Lord. I brought it back to the Lord. I brought it back to the Lord. And you're getting so weary of bringing it back to the Lord because he doesn't seem to be doing anything on your behalf. Well, those are the challenges and those are the breaking points. These are the, this is the rule and not the exception. And James would say, count it all joy because when he puts you to the test, he's going to prove himself again and again to you. As we look at Psalm 89, there are two parts to the psalm. There's the happy first part and there's the brokenhearted second part. And in the happy first part, I'm going to put it like this. When your faith, when our faith in God is at a breaking point, number one, we will worship because God keeps his promise every time. He always keeps his promise. Now there are three, at least three uh, detractors, three hurdles to worship. Here's three reasons why in my life I have been tempted to stop worshiping God, all right? Reason number one for me is neglect. I just put worshiping God, and by the way, we're getting this concept of worshiping God from the very first verse, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. You ever neglect that kind of worship? Secondary? Other things come into your life crowded out? I have in my mind, don't you? Luke chapter 4, or excuse me, Mark chapter 4. And in Mark 4, 19, the, the word says that the seed was sown there, but then the, the seed springs up and the worries of life choke it out. And, and it, we just neglect, and I slowly put God at a lesser and less priority of my life, and I just don't think it's that big of a deal to take him seriously because I can handle things along the way. And one of the serious problems in my own heart, in my flesh, is that sometimes, if I'm not careful, I can neglect the worship of God. Second, deterrent from worshiping God, panic and emergency. You ever have that? Where suddenly the worst news possible has put you in survival mode. There's something broken. There's something on fire. There's something about to be destroyed. There's something that needs immediate attention. And I forget about God's help. And I forget about worshiping God. And I go try to fix the problem with these two hands. And I get all full of, of working hard, and I get all full. And it's not that I meant to forget God. It's just that the panic of the situation put me in a place where someone has to do something right now. Right now. So maybe you are not worshiping God like you once did, because once upon a time in a panic situation, you felt like you had to take 
action. But Psalm 89's main concern is this one, disillusionment. I know the promises of God. I have appealed to him. And I have such a pain in worship because when I come into the room and begin to open my mouth and begin to pursue him and begin to get quiet in his presence, I think he's forgotten me. And I know I've forgotten him. I've done it on purpose. I'm disappointed with God. He just has not done at all what I thought he would do. And I'm disillusioned with him. And that's where Ethan is. Can I tell you, that's where there, there's a lot of people there. They are maybe disillusioned with God or maybe disillusioned with God's people. A broken heart. What happened? How could this happen? So you come in here and you're like, well, now you guys have been brave. Those of you joining online, you're brave to come and listen and participate again. And you, there's this raw place in your heart where there is this disillusionment that I thought God was going to do it, A, and, and, and here I am living with B, and I have to change everything about the way I relate to God because I got this pain deep in my heart today. Ethan is calling the congregation, all of us, to keep worshiping together. He's the mouthpiece. He's the first one calling out to all of us. Guys, guys, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever, even though my hands are empty, even though there's no king on the throne, even though our sons are shooting at one another and hurting one another. There is no harmony in our houses at all. And I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Well, here's a couple of reasons to worship God even when I am. A couple of reasons to come into his, his presence even when I am at this breaking point and my faith is being tried. The first one is this. Even when you cannot feel it. We sing a song like this. Even when you cannot feel it. God's posture towards you is one of great love. He is warmly affectionate to you when you feel like he's forgotten you. He cares about what's going on in your body and in your family and in your mind when you think he's far off. He is keeping promises and showing love when you can't see it. Take a look at verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. And God's love is a, available, a steadfast love there. It's a song. It's real. His love for you is real and available for generations. And every generation, people have sung about this love. We've experienced it. And when your faith is at a breaking point, you need the congregation to remind you that his love is real and available. We'll sing about it forever. Look at verse 2. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. And so the warmth of his affection toward you is eternal. It's never going to come to a close. Look at verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God's love for you is overflowing. It's like 
He's coming in a parade format, and before he can even arrive for you, this flood of his loving kindness comes out ahead of him to announce the way. The one who loves you is on the way. Don't lose heart. He has overflowing, plenteous love for you. And this whole psalm underscores it time and time and time again. Take a look down at verse 24. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. Now this is a promise now to the king that will be on the throne and eventually to Jesus, who is the representative, representative or he's the ultimate king on the throne. But it's for you too. God's love will be with you. It's not like you bump out from some morning worship service and then Monday morning you have to uh, operate like, you, like you're a battery-operated car on yesterday's charge. Not at all. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, his mercy is new and you start in the word and he reminds you that this overflowing, plenteous love is not only coming for you, it's available to you. His love, according to verse 24, is with you. Take a look at verse 28. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. He keeps his love for you. That word keep means he guards it. It means if you think it could run out, God's guarding it in heaven. He's on it. Can't be stolen. Can't be taken by someone else. But that is a thief when you are at a breaking point and you start comparing how heavy your load is with how heavy someone else's load is and you, you can't, almost can't resist it and you can't get your brain wrapped around it and you think the steadfast love that God meant for you, somebody else is hogging all of it. No, no. No, he's keeping it for you. He's guarding it. And that which he has allotted for you and that comes in plenteous form in front of him as he arrives, it will always get to you. Take a look at verse 32 and 33. Here's a little bit of pain, but it's a good kind of a pain. Verse 32, then I will punish their transgression. And we're in the hard part of the psalm, the second half, but even there I will punish their transgression with the rod. Have you been punished? Have you had trouble in your life? You've been corrected? Their iniquity will be punished with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Even when God is correcting you, even when he is disciplining you, you know the scriptures say, the son that he loves, he chastens. He comes and corrects you. And if you're experiencing trouble and the complaints and the difficulties of, and you're looking, where is God's love in my brokenness? And we come to verse 33 and we're reminded that even as he calls out to you and draws you back to him, he's showing you great love. Reason to worship, number one, God has great love for you and he's showing it. Reason number two, is found in verses 5 through 18, and we're not going to have a lot of time to uh, take a look at it, but he is incomparable. Look at verse 6. Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? 
Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Answer, none. No one. But you know what happens when uh, your faith is at a breaking point? If you're not careful, you will look for other gods. You will look for something else to fulfill you. You will look to something else to help you. And it's really crucial that you know who you're listening to and what you're listening for and that your eyes are fixed on the one. There is no one but God in the heavens who can help you. His love for you and his, uh, who he is as God is incomparable. And the case in point for this entire psalm, in fact, Psalm 89, if you mention this psalm to theologians and people, they will say, oh yeah, that, that's a commentary on the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it is, okay? We are not going to go into all of the nuances of, of the commentary, but the important thing that you should know is that in the moment when the promise was not in Ethan's hand anymore, he went back to the word of God. And he said, look, what do we understand about this covenant that God made with David? What was God saying to us? Did we get it? Because maybe what happened is we have behaved in such a way that God no longer wants to be associated with us. He wants, to, he, he, he wants to take a step back and be like, okay, those are not my people anymore. And maybe we missed something along the way. And what Ethan's doing here is saying, look, I'm, I've read the, the covenant time and time and time again. I haven't missed anything. God's still keeping his covenant. Look at verse 19. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one. And he and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. That's David. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I anointed him. So he is the christened one. The word anointed there is Messiah. I've messiahed him. I've, I've anointed him. So that my, in fact, in the New Testament, we hear Jesus Christ. The word Christ is anointed. Jesus, the one who saves, who is the king. That's what Christ is all about. So that my hand shall be established with him. Incidentally, Ethan is probably writing hundreds of years after David. So there's a whole reason why we think there. If you look at verse 19, here's the first reason I think so, is because Ethan uses the term of old. He does it again later in the chapter. So there is an Ethan that's more of a contemporary back-in-the-day guy, um, but this Ethan probably wrote long after David and Solomon. So that my hand shall be established with him, my, my arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers, and that's speaking of a, a big old kingdom. It's speaking of the land. David would have the land. Uh, his servant would have the land. He shall cry to me, you are my father. That's brand new. It's brand new in the covenants that God would bring David to be considered like a son. And so when, when 
he writes this, when Ethan writes this, where our eyes peek up and our ears are, we're listening closely. Well, that's new. My God and the rock of my salvation. I will make him the firstborn. That's new. The firstborn of the highest kings of the earth. He will be a king to me. This is how Ethan understood the covenant made to David years and years and years later. Now, verse 28, and this is probably the key. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. Now, wait a second. What if we fail? What if, what if we are the kind of people that walk away and do our own thing? What if we don't keep the law? No. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. So we would call this a unilateral and eternal promise from God to David that he, in a very special way, represents this new kingdom of God. If we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, David understood the exact same thing. God told him what he would have in this new world that God, that God had promised to David. And then in verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Okay, I've understood everything you said. Who am I? O Lord God. O sovereign God. That's a special term for God that's only used in a couple places in the Old Testament. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my house? The context of 2 Samuel, remember in 2 Samuel 6, David said, I'll build a house for you. And God said, no, 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 no. I'll build a house for you. I will build a dynasty and you'll be the king. Who am I that you would build me a house like this, that you have brought me thus far? And yet, was it a small thing in your eyes, O God, that you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, eternal, and that this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God? And that term, instruction for mankind, if you and I were, we, we would view that as like a speed bump, like what is that, instruction for mankind? It's a mountain. Because the term instruction for mankind means this is a new way that God is going to interact with people forever and ever. He's going to keep this covenant. Now you guys know that Jesus is the ultimate David. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. Jesus is the son of God. Any one of you could come up here and quote John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, where do we get that term from? Psalm 89 and 2 Samuel before it. He's a son. Zechariah, when he finally gets to hold the baby in the temple, he raises the baby up and says, he has raised up, God has raised up the horn of my salvation, the horn of salvation from us, straight from 89, Psalm 89, in the house of David, Davidic covenant, in my name, his name, his horn is exalted. And in Acts 13, 22, when he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. So here is my statement to you. All of human history God made a promise, stepped in, 
And he pointed to this thing he was going to do in his servant, through his servant David, an eternal covenant he would keep in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a comparative religion where we take a look at the positives and negatives of Christianity versus all other world religions. That's not the answer or the question. The question is, is Jesus the Son of God? Is he the unique promised one of old? Is he the only one through whom God redeemed the world? Is he the one in whom God has kept his every promise to us? Is he the one who died in your place and was raised the third day? Do you live because of him, Jesus Christ? These are the questions. And therefore, Christians aren't uh, arrogant when we answer the question, Jesus only we are following the, the Older Testament and the Newer Testament as uh, the reality that only Jesus could pay and only Jesus would pay. Okay, all right. So Jesus is the promised offspring. He defeated the evil one decisively. He fulfilled the promise of God to Abram. He is the only son of God. I get it. I hear what you're saying. Uh, then why is my life so hard? Why am I so disappointed? Why are my burdens so heavy? Why don't I hold in my hand these promises? Well, that's the question, isn't it? That's the question that all of us, does God answer prayer? Is God good? These are the questions that your friends and this generation traffic in. This is the currency of the way that, that we relate to one another. So when our God, uh, when our faith in God is at a breaking point, we will, secondly, lament. We will lament because God sometimes seems very far away from us. Friends, in lament, God is not far away from us, but our troubles are very near. Overwhelming. suck the air right out of our lungs sometimes to the point where I have had friends in here on a Sunday morning who will say I will come to the worship service but listen I can't sing I, I can't participate my heart is broken and friends lament lament talks to God about the pain in lament, we come to the Lord. We, when, when our faith in God is at a breaking point, we have a decision. We will either turn away from God and go our own way, or we will turn to God and entrust to him the, the heaviness of our heart and the dichotomy of our heart between what we thought would be and what is, and our angst in our heart about why God is not doing what we thought he would do. So verses 38 all the way through the end is lament. It is Ethan saying, I cannot believe how hard this is. Where are you, God? Um, look at verse 38, but now you, and I want to stop right there, but now you, you've cast off. I'll say two things. Ethan comes to God with his broken heart. He doesn't go to a friend. Be very careful when you are lamenting. 
Because you can have a friend who seems to be a Christian or seems to be wise or seems to be a good shoulder to cry on, and that friend can lead you deeper into trouble and pain than you have ever been in your life and add insult to the injury of your lament. Be very careful. Bring your heart, bring your the direction, aim your words at God. I love the fact that... Uh, Ethan started this psalm saying, okay, I'm going to bring my words to you, Lord, but my my heart is broken. Did you see what he did first? Look at verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now look what he does. He says this. For I said, and he starts down a road of all the things that he says. I don't know what you say, but what Ethan said was morphed, was changed, was organized by what God said. Look at verse 3. You said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. So as Ethan is coming to lament, he lets his words be God's words. He says the same thing that God says. He puts his heart and mind on the word of God and lets the word of God be the source of help for him. But now you, so so this is the first key to lament. Come to God. Come to God. Make certain that you're not going to someone who says they speak for God or says that they would be helpful to you. Don't go where you get positivity or, or just acceptance. Come to the Lord. Ethan turns to God. Verses 38 through 45 are some painful words. And in these verses, I count 13 accusations that Ezra, that Ethan lays at God's feet. You see it there? You cast off. You are full of wrath. You have renounced. You have defiled. You have breached. You, you, you. 13 times when Ethan comes to the Lord, he's like, here's 13 reasons why I think you failed me. You do that? heart so broken, can't sing, can't utter a word. You let the word of God change and challenge and, and shape your heart, and then you bring your heart to the Lord and say, I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but it doesn't feel good. In my heart and mind, here's 13 ways I think that somehow I've missed what you said. I, I'm reviewing the promises. I get it. I'm listening to you, but my heart's broken, and I'm waiting for you to do something here Please help. And that's number two. Come to God. Bring your complaints. Bring your complaints. Thirteen accusations. God can take your complaints. Listen, don't... It's very tough because this is not an invitation to bring your complaints about God to all your friends. This is not an invitation for you to give up faithfulness. This is something, if you give up faithfulness, that God's going to discipline you to stop doing But he's called you into his presence to bring your complaints to him, 13 and 16 and all of them. Bring your complaints. God, I have a promise from you, but it looks to me like you've been unfaithful. God, I have a promise from you. What is up? My heart is broken, and and I see no way that this is ever going to get fixed. My expectations have been grossly missed, Lord. What are you doing in my life? And then... He stops. See verse 45? 
Gary's taught us so well. You did this, you did this, you did this, you did that. Selah. Where have you been? When I needed you most. Come to God, bring your complaints, ask God for help. Look at verses 47 and verse 47 and 50. Actually, look at verse 46, sorry. How long, O Lord, is the first question he asks of the Lord, or is the next question. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long? How long is this going to last, Lord? How long am I going to keep, keep in this crazy season? How long, Lord? How long, Lord? And then the next question he asks, verse 49, Lord, I know that I see your steadfast love that was offered to other people in previous generations, but... Where is your steadfast love? Here's the second time he uses the phrase, of old. I see that you used to love all the people. Doesn't feel like you love me. Where is your, your steadfast love that you promised to David? I'm not feeling it. Come to God, bring your complaints, ask God for help. Look at verse 47. Remember God. Remember how short my time is going to go so fast. The years of my life feels like it's draining out. I feel like so far behind everybody else. Everyone else is in front of me. Oh, Lord, remember how short my time is. Can I just remind you something? The how long question is a great question to ask, and sometimes it doesn't have good, easy, happy answers. I love Jeremiah 29.11, many of us love that verse. It just says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and help you, give you a future. That's a nice verse. But here's what I would encourage you to do this week is read Psalm 20, or Jeremiah 29. Read it in its length. Jeremiah 29.11 is the only positive verse in the entire chapter. While Jeremiah is saying... My life is going to be characterized by captivity, brokenness, no, uh, no temple worship. I'm going to be a cast off, a fugitive, broken. The land is going to be lived in by a foreign king for the rest of my days. And that's how my life is going to end. And it did. When he writes, for I know the plans I have for you. By the way, if you cross-stitch that on your grandchild's uh, pillow for Christmas, you might want to consider another verse. Because it's heavy. But what Jeremiah was saying there is, even if I die in brokenheartedness, you will never let your loving kindness go. You will always be faithful to me and you will pick up the promise to a future generation and be strong for them and good for them. You will come through. Your loving kindness is real for them. And if I die as a captor or if I die while we're wandering in the desert or if I die because of some, without receiving the, the reality of your promise, that's okay. That's okay. In fact, if we go back to the beginning again, I think that's where Ethan was, where he would say, this is how I feel. And by the way, that's exactly how Ethan did die. If he was in the era we think he was in, he wrote this knowing that he would never receive the king on the throne again. He wrote this 
Yet, I put the yet in there for you and me, verse 1. Yet, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known his, your faithfulness to all generations. Listen, Mom, your kids are watching. Listen, Grandpa, your kids are watching how you deal with the breaking point of your faith. Your kids see whether you're characterized by faithfulness to the Lord and whether you're coming in to worship him when you don't feel like it. Whether you believe and trust him and you're surrounding your, your life with friends who are encouraging you in the way you ought to go. How beautiful is God's faithfulness to us. Come to God, bring your complaints, ask God for help, choose to trust him. Choose to trust him. Um, that's what uh, he does here, I believe, in verse 52. And this is the final point. We will worship, we will lament, but we will worship forever. And you're only going to lament for a minute. I believe, this is my own, I'm studying and thinking, and, you know, the book 89, or chapter 89 comes to this abrupt, broken ending, and it's ridiculously hard. And I think Ethan got to the end of verse 51, put your finger there, and he's like, yeah, 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 that's how I feel. That's what I mean to say. All right. And then, have you ever written an email? And then you come back later before you send it, and you're like, ah, maybe I better not say that. Now, this is inspired, so he should say it. But I think he, I imagine him picking up a pen five days later before this psalm is published and begun to be circulated, and I think he went, licked his little thing. That's how I imagine him doing it. I don't know how he did it. I don't think he licked anything. Anyway, here's how I'm going to finish this psalm, he said in his heart. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. My heart's broken. I'm lamenting. Some of the stuff that's happened to me is permanent. I don't know what God's doing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's sufficient for you. He is good to you. In heaven, his face is turned full force to you in great love. And he went out of his way here in Psalm 89 to underscore it time and time again, eternal love, available love, unchanging love, plenteous love for you. And no amount of trouble in your world is changing that much love that he has for you. So book three ends in devastation. There is no king in Israel. Foreign armies have occupied the land, carried off their children, and brother fights against brother. The temple is profaned because the Israelites have been unfaithful, but God has not moved. He loves. God's promise is still intact. God's faithfulness is higher than the clouds with pain and with sadness, yet there is hope. And next week, we open book four to see, look how God is causing us to grow as we trust his name. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we lament 
because we don't always see what you're doing. And what we do see sometimes makes us doubt. And I pray for the heart that is doubting in here today. Or not doubting, but really, really broken. Help them come to you. Bring your, their complaints. Appeal to you. And choose to trust you. Lord, you kept all of these promises in Jesus Christ and every one of us has a hope if we have come to him and placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in us to to help us, to give us a new perspective, to carry us through, to help us in lament. But Lord, every one of us all the time, we need to be reminded, your posture toward us is great love and we will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.